Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Last week, we looked at the importance of humility and how we must humble ourselves by how? By owning our sin. And today, we look at what happens that if we do own our sin, what do we do with it? We return to God. And everyone in here today is searching for something. You may be searching for love. You may be searching for security or approval or peace. But if you are searching, take heart because today, the answer for your search today is Jesus. And he is here because Jesus is actually searching for you. So returning to God is something that many of us have had to do in our lives before. And someone may even need to return to God today. I don't know, it just depends on where you are in your walk with Him. But it doesn't matter if you've been active in church, or maybe you're hostile to God, or maybe you're just agnostic and you just don't believe in anything. That's okay. It doesn't matter because He loves you, and whatever it takes to reach you, He will do. There is a former Navy SEAL called Chad Williams, and he wrote a book called The Seal of God. And uh, I encourage you to read it. I'm going to try to pick it up myself because I saw the the book synopsis here. And uh, this is about a man who became a Navy SEAL after one of his mentors, Scott Helveston, was brutally killed in Iraq and his death was televised. And so Chad Williams was young at the time. He vowed at that moment when he saw that, to become a Navy SEAL and avenge his friend's death, his mentor's death. So Williams was one of the very few who managed to actually complete SEAL training on the first try. But Chad found that his victory was strangely empty because he began to party heavily with friends and lost control of himself. So much so that he frightened his own parents, and until he found out about God and the plans that God had for him, He did a total 180 in his life. You see, this story, the seal of God, shows how Chad Williams came to find a mission more meaningful even than to avenging his friend's death, but found a mission that would send him on a lifetime of missions as a warrior for God. They asked him, they said, What did you learn from all this process that you've gone through? And he said, well, I've learned that even the greatest worldly accomplishments is empty when you are empty. My friend, if you are empty today, if you're if you're at half a tank or a quarter of a tank or wherever you may be, if you feel like you're empty today, my friend, you are at the filling station because Jesus seeks to fill your life. Because that's the thing. I don't know about you, but like if I haven't ate for a long time, I get real hungry. And if I have a bag of chips, that's just enough to make me mad. Because you, you want you want sustenance. You want that comfort food. You want that good old meat and three, right? It's funny, when I get out of Anderson and I tell somebody, let's go find a meat and three to eat, they look at me like I'm crazy. But everybody here knows what a meat and three is, right? Amen. Why do I got to talk about food again while I'm preaching? Anyway, but the thing is, is that you may be empty, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you that there is nothing this world can offer, not even as good as a meat and three that will fill the void in your life that was made for Jesus to fill. 
So with that said, everyone is searching for something and you may be searching today for love or security or deliverance or approval or peace. If you are searching, take heart, because as I said a moment ago, Jesus is searching for you. So let's go to God's word and let's see the first thing. We are looking at the parable of the lost sheep. And this parable actually happens or occurs twice in the New Testament. And so I wanted to share with you both times because they're both the same illustration, but they have a little bit of different meaning. When Jesus used these, he used this parable for more than just one meaning. And we're going to look at that this morning. So Matthew chapter 18, verses 12 through 14, we see that a person God creates is important to him, period. A person that God creates, every person that God creates is important to him, even those that are hostile towards him, even those that are running from him, even those that have disappointed him, even those that please him, even you God-fearing, good-believing Christians that are here in church today. God created you and has an important purpose for your life. And so we look at the first lost sheep parable in Matthew 18, verses 12 through 14, where Jesus is speaking, and he says, If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the ninety-nine others on the hill and go out and search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the ninety-nine that didn't wander away. So in the same way, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. What we see here from this parable, number one, is we like sheep will stray and not even know it. We can stray and not even know it. That's the thing about the word straying or the concept of straying. It's, it's similar to, to drifting. And it says in Isaiah 53, 6, that all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yes, the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Folks, we need to be careful when we are straying away from God because that begins taking your redeemed status for granted. What did I just say? That means the moment you and I as a believer, blood-bought, and who are secure in our relationship with the Lord, even the best dog tries to get off the leash every now and then. And when we stray and when we try to go our own way and have it our way, that is where that process of drifting away begins. And as we see this, if you think, well, man, that's kind of depressing, you're in good company because the whole reason he shared this parable, if you look before it, you will see that the disciples were having an argument among themselves of who was the greatest. Here we are, the disciples that Jesus called to follow him were arguing about who was the greatest. Churches today argue about who is the greatest. Church members argue about who is the greatest. And when we are arguing among ourselves about who is the greatest, we lose sight of the least of these that God has called us to reach out to. And so Jesus is giving the disciples and you and me a focus point, just a moment to where we can realize what's going on. Because each day we hear more and more about people of faith 
who have gone and strayed away. The Bible calls those people a false prophet. But straying is like drifting. It's dangerous. It's subtle. And in the end, will lead us far away from where we want to be with Christ. And so the disciples began the drift in this passage. And so the next thing that we see is that God sees you as important. In Luke chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. I don't know how you came in here today as far as where you are with the Lord, but let me tell you something, no matter where you're at with Him, God looks at you and says, you are important. There is nothing out of His control. There is nothing out of His hands. He has not taken His hands off the wheel. He is in full control, and you are important to Him, regardless of the color of your skin, regardless of the amount of money in your bank account, and regardless of the clothes that are on your back, and regardless of the hymns you know, or the choruses you know, or how good your week has been, or what you got going ahead of you. You are important to God, and it says here in Verses 3 and 4, it says, Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he lead the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that has lost until he finds it? One of the most helpless situations that someone can be in is when a person goes missing. I can remember as a youth pastor trying to corral kids at a theme park. You want to talk about the, an exercise in futility. And it never, never failed. It was never the girls. It was the middle school boys. They would find the one roller coaster that they want to ride before they go home. And if they have to be at the bus at 6 o'clock, they will get in the line at 545 thinking they can make it. Ah. And trying to get all those kids together and get them back, it's, whether you it be a youth minister, whether it be you and your family and they're with friends, it's tough when people are missing, isn't it? You know, and there's seems like every year when the spring and the summer hits, we hear about either a scout or a child that went on a trail with friends in the mountains and all of a sudden they stopped to look at something and the friends kept going. And I use that term loosely if they keep going while somebody has wandered away. But they, and all of a sudden, there's this massive manhunt for a child that needs to be rescued. The effort it takes to find a missing person is extreme and it is exhausting. Not only do you have to go where they were, you have to cover the areas where you think they may go. And so if only you had perfect knowledge of knowing exactly where everyone is at all times. Parents of young children can keep them fairly close. But I'm telling you, you know this, day is coming, there will be a day when you can't watch them 24-7. And you're going to have to trust the Lord. Who will watch them? Well, Jesus says here, God the Father will, that even if one goes astray, I will watch after them. So what does this say to you? Check this out. No one, and I mean no one, is insignificant to God. Let me say that one more time. No one, and I mean no one, is insignificant to God. If you are today, you matter. If you are not here today, you wouldn't hear this anyway, but those people that are not here, they matter to God. That guy or that girl walking down Abbeville Highway matters to God. 
that person that blasphemes his name on television and social media, they matter to God. No one is insignificant. Leaving the 99 sheep for one. That's the parable. Leaving the 99 for one. Some would say that well, if you got a hundred sheep and you only lose one, well, I mean, that's acceptable risk, right? Not if it's your sheep. Not if it, I can see now we go and we take a group of kids somewhere, we come back, and we got most of them back. I hear parents joke all the time. I hope they're joking. Where they say, oh, you want a kid? I'll let you borrow ours for a couple of weeks. But the truth of the matter is that there is nothing that could keep you from wanting to protect that child and that loved one. But 91 out of 99, that would be an acceptable, acceptable risk to a lot of people. But if you have more than one child, is it acceptable to lose one? If you have a van full of children, is it acceptable to lose one. No, it's not. Every child matters. No one is insignificant. And then God tracks you because He loves you. Now, I, always, I have fun with this one. Um, I'm going to show you a picture on the screen here. This is, I don't know if you can see it from where you're sitting, but this is a screenshot of my phone. Donna was very sweet last night, and she went to a restaurant to go get our food. So we have this little app to where I pulled it up, and I can see exactly where she's at. She's at the, the restaurant at the drive through window. You can see her logo up there. I've got her on lockdown. I can tell where she is all the time. But it goes the other way. She's got me on lockdown. Anywhere I go, some, anytime I go somewhere, she knows that I'm leaving. I'll be at the house. I'll get up. I'll get ready. And I'll... Pull out of the driveway. All of a sudden, I know it's coming. My phone rings. Where are you going? Because she saw me leave. Or sometimes I get the call. What are you doing over there? It is so bad that when I have to go shopping for gifts for her, I have to turn off my GPS. And I have to tell her, Donna, understand that I'm turning my GPS off, not because I'm trying to run from you and hide from you, but I'm getting something for you. And I'll be in this area and I'll be back at this time. Drives her nuts. Because she's so used to being able to. Any, anybody else do that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Some of you aren't admitting to it. But here's the thing. Why do we do that? I don't do that because I don't trust Donna. And Donna doesn't do that because she doesn't trust me. We do that because we love each other. We do that because in case something happens, we want to be to them. There was an occasion a couple years ago where Donna had a flat tire. I pulled up the app, and it gave me directions right to her car. It wasn't because I, again, because I didn't trust her. It was because she mattered to me because I love her. And my friend, let me encourage you with this. God knows exactly where you are. And you are not insignificant. God knows your situation. God knows your pain. And God knows that you are valuable to him and you are significant and you matter in his eyes. How do I know that? Let me show you this verse. Luke 10 verses 27 through 29 says this. It says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. 
I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one, again, no one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me. And he is more powerful than anyone else. My friend, you are on God's radar. You are the one he is going after. The next thing we see in verses 5 through 7 of Luke is that Jesus wants the wayward to return to him. Jesus wants those who are wayward, those who are lost, those who are, who have, have strayed away from God. He wants them to come home. It says in verses 5 through 7, And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. And in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over ninety-nine others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. My friend, when God finds you, here's the aha moment. Check this out. When God finds you, God carries you. Woo! When God finds you, God carries you. It says here that the shepherd takes the lamb and carries it back because it has strayed far away. It's probably tired. It probably needs food. It probably needs water. And what happens is it's on that way back to the flock, however far the has fallen, the sheep remembers that I need to stay close to the shepherd. The sheep will hear the heartbeat and the breathing of the shepherd. It will be right there, close to the shepherd, and that bond is reunited. Some of you here today are running from God because you have forgotten about the bond between you and the shepherd. But my friend, if you are running and he comes after you and he picks you up and you are tired, don't worry because he will carry you. You do not have to walk because God will carry you. If you are broken, weak, or hurting today, God will carry you. Also, God rejoices when you return, and so does all of heaven. The biggest lie Satan tells those who are wandering is that God doesn't love them, and everyone will shun you when you return. That's what the devil tells you. I can see it every Sunday when we have an altar call. I see the white knuckle grip on the pew. Somebody don't want to give up because they don't want to think that somebody will think badly of them. But if there is any place that you can take a stand for Christ, if there is any place you can say, I've messed up and I want to return to God and I need people to affirm me in this, it should be in this place, in this moment. Because if we don't shout, and if we don't get excited about one person coming to know Jesus Christ, heaven will do it for us, and woe to us if we don't. Because Jesus says that we should. You see that God will go after those who have fallen away. Folks, do not accept the picture of God that the world wants to paint for you. The world wants to let you know that God is a cosmic killjoy, a dictator, or that he is looking for an opportunity to, to, to bully you or to punish you. God is a loving shepherd and not only cares for you, but will go after you when you tend to stray. Folks, when you return, you are being carried And if others have a problem with that, they have a problem with Jesus. 
Because as I preach this, I want to let you know, I have been in the 99 sheep. (laughs) But I've also been the one. How about you? Have you been in the 99? Or have you been the one? But here's the thing. It's not enough to recognize that we have strayed. And it's not enough to be carried back. We must repent. Now, here's that good old Southern Baptist word. Repent. What does repent mean? It means to stop doing what you're doing and turn from what you're doing and go in the opposite direction. It's not we're sinning and we want to sin more, but it is we are sinning and God doesn't want us to do that, so we need to stop and turn the other way. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise as some people think. No, He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to rejoice. People say, well, why hasn't Jesus Christ come back yet? There's one more He's waiting on. One more. So what does repentance look like? I tried to find a, a slick little story or an illustration to share with you, but I thought, I don't need to do that. Jesus did it himself. Look at, on down in Luke 15, starting with verse 17. This is the parable of the prodigal son, and, and I just preached on this a few months ago, so I'm not going to go through the whole thing of the prodigal son, but I want you to look at this portion of the Scripture that says, starting with verse 17, when he finally came to his senses... He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me as your hired servant. Understand the, 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 the nugget here is to understand that when we sin, we don't only sin against our bodies. We don't only sin against that person that we offend. We are sinning against God and His standards. And so it says in verse 20, So he returned home to his father, and while he was a long way off, his father saw him coming. What does that verse tell you? That tells you that the father was searching for the prodigal. What does that tell you and me? That means that God is searching for you. And it says that when he came home, his father saw him. He ran to his son. Just the fact that he ran to his son. In Jewish culture, when this was written, it was seen as bad form for an older man to run towards anybody. That was beneath them. That was a social embarrassment. But the father in this passage didn't care about what other people thought. And my friend, if you are living for the opinions of other people, God doesn't care about that. He will run to you. He will run to you. It says he embraced him and he kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. What do we learn from this? In verse 17, You and I better check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. You need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Are you trying to live your life your own way? Selfishly pushing aside any responsibility or commitment that gets in your way. Folks, stop and look before you hit bottom. You will save yourself and your family much grief. 
Also, we see in this passage in verse 20, God's love is two things. God's love is consistent and God's love is patient. In both of these stories, we see a seeker that is actively looking for the the coin or the sheep or the prodigal. They don't return by themselves. That is where the master is looking for them. The shepherd is looking for them and the shepherd looks for you. Here's the thing. God will search for you and he will give you every opportunity to accept him, but he will not force himself upon you. Like the father in this story, God waits patiently for us to come to him. So what does repentance mean? Let me give you three quick things. Number one, repentance means we must come to our senses. That's what happened in the prodigal son. That's what happens to us when all of a sudden we've been feeding on pig slop, thinking it was the best thing in the world. And now we realize, I've got it much better when I live for the Lord. First of all, you've got to realize you're eating pig slop. Now, I, don't, I hope none of you in here are eating pig slop. I've never had pigs. I've never owned pigs. Some of you folks have. Some of you folks have worked on a farm. And you know that when you feed the pigs, that is not a glorious job. But isn't it amazing how because of sin we can make garbage look good? We must... Come to our senses. We must return to God. And we must welcome God's embrace. God is pictured in this parable as the prodigal son, as a loving father that always searches and always forgives those who come to him. And it is this love, it is this very love as you read the and if you read about the 99 and the 1, you know better than anybody else that not only was this a parable, this is a premonition of what Jesus would actually do. That he came to this world. He left his throne. He left his glory. He humbled himself, even to the point where he would reject his deity and put on this earth suit called skin. And that he would walk among us and he would know what we're going through. And eventually that he would die on the cross for your sin and my sin. Not because you could, so you could have a nice story to hear at church. It's not so you could have a great Easter musical. It's because he loves you. Don't forget that. He, Jesus is the application of these parables. And some of you have been walking with God longer than I have, and I understand that, and I appreciate that. But even you, in your young age or old age, can tend to stray. And we must return to Him. And do not see as God's going to get you. God's going to get you regardless. But wouldn't you rather have His loving embrace than the judgment of His backhand? It's this kind of love that prompted Jesus. And it's the extraordinary love that God has for you. So in winding up, I'll say this. No one to God. There is not one person in here that is beyond God's love. You say, well, preacher, you don't know what I've done. (laughs) You're right, I don't. But you know what, my friend? You don't know what I've done either. (laughs) We have all, like sheep, fallen away. But it is because of God's great love and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we can repent and return to God. In the first parable of the lost sheep, it was the religious who were due to being blinded by their pride. They focused on themselves more than God. 
In the second parable of the lost sheep, the wayward son lost sight of his relationship with God because he was blinded by his own selfish desires. Isn't it amazing that God went after both of them and he searches for you today if you will only return to him. Don't let your pride blind you from what God has for your life. And better yet, don't let your lack of pursuing God and your taking for granted his relationship to run from him either. If you've ever raised children, you know that there will come a time, especially those teenage years, where you are the dumbest person in the world. It's amazing you can even breathe because that teenager knows everything. And you go back in your mind and you say, you won't tell them this, but you remember when you were the same way. And that old adage is true. The older we get, the smarter our parents become. That's just teenage years. That's somebody taking for granted the relationship and the love that they have and testing those boundaries. And folks, to be quite honest with you, we do the same thing with God every day. Don't take for granted the relationship you have from him, with him. If you want to return to him, return. If you need to be carried by him, he will carry you. If you need to repent, repent, because whatever you're holding on to is not worth what God can give you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this sermon today, Lord, your scriptures. And Lord, it is my prayer if there is one person that needs to return to you today, the Lord, they would do so. The Lord, they would throw aside their pride. They would throw aside their search for the wrong things and say, today I want to return to God, confess my sins, repent from them, and to live for him as a believer. I'm tired of running. Maybe there's a believer here today that is just weak and worn and wants to return to you in in that close relationship with you, Lord. May they do that today. The altar is open. Someone can come and pray. If you want to come pray by yourself to the altar, that's fine. If you want to bring somebody up with you, that's fine. If you want to talk to me, that's fine. But don't leave the day not making the commitment that will change the course of your life. Maybe you want to join this church or just to have prayer. Maybe be baptized, whatever it may be. Would you please come? As this is our Lord's hymn of invitation. Would you please come?